Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes! Again, has to be careful of the speed. What a comeback season for Hal Sutton. Come right back toward the hole. Seventeen years later, Hal Sutton is the Players' Champion. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Be The Right Club Today podcast. How we had a uh, fun little tournament this, this weekend. What you, would you think? PGA Championship. Phil Mickelson made history. Uh, I thought it was amazing, to be honest with you. Yeah. I think uh, Phil looked so focused on that back nine to me. It didn't look like he lost his focus at all. and looked like he was on a mission. And uh, he's you know, I didn't see the beginning of it, but it looked he must have started out not quite like he wanted to, and and uh, but he pulled it all together. And I watched, I watched from holes one through like five or six, and had to do something. And then I watched the back nine. You know, Brooks birdies, birdies one, and then didn't hit a great tee shot, lays up, and then hit a horrible third shot into into two. Pin was back left and. Wind was blown off the right, and right when he hit it, he knew it was trouble. He pulled it, goes long, and he was he was just dead. Phil hit a good tee shot there, went for it and two, knocked it over the green, and then had a miraculous up and down. One of Phil, you know, a typical Phil special makes birdie there, and it's kind of like game on at that point. Brooks ends up making double, yeah, and that's where it was kind of didn't really let the sales out at that point. He ended up making a few more mistakes coming down the or, or leading up to up to the stretch where he kind of shot himself out of it. But um, I felt like to your point about feel looking very focused i felt like it was it was a different feel like i felt like you know 10 years ago i think he would have been waving and smiling and and even more thumbs up than he did like he looked like he it was almost like he realized like i might not have any other opportunity like this ever again and i'm going to try to to take full advantage of it i couldn't have put it better i think he realized this is an incredible moment for him and I'm going to try to do everything in my power to seize this moment you know one of the things that helped out a little bit was it was windy enough that people weren't going to shoot close to the lead they were going to shoot 65 so he didn't really have to worry about somebody shooting the lights out to to beat him and uh you know, when he hit the tee shot on 16 and he outdrove Brooks there, he hit it like 366 yards or whatever it was. It looked pretty solid to me yeah. at that point. It's like, wow, he just yeah, got to get got to get over the water on 17, and then he's just kind of cruising. He actually got a bad break on 17. That yeah. ball hit really hard and went up into the stuff, and you know, you could tell he just staying totally in control even when it was you know in the stuff which i'm sure that was a little bit of a scary shot you don't know how the ball is going to come out of there yeah. and 
even for a wizard like him with a wedge in his hand. Sure. He's that's still an unknown. Talk a little bit about the the putter he's using and that because we're this is this is what we're going to get into today. Um, you know, the, a, a putter that I, I heard Brandel and I heard um, uh, David Duvall talking about on the on the show afterwards about how the the sweet spot on that putter is literally the size of you know less than a dime and that there's zero technology in it. Um, you know, it's kind of his, been his baby from from the get go. I mean, talk a little bit about just him using something old school like that, and and you know, what's your thoughts on that? You know, I don't know what my thoughts are on that. To be honest with you, I think he went back to who he was. Yeah, I think he went to home plate, and I think he was really comfortable with that. I mean, you know, you and I mentioned earlier. You know, he went to the claw on uh, seventeen, I yeah. think, and. Uh, I hadn't seen him do that at all, yep. you know. And you know, you said that he said something technical. The ball was sitting in a low spot or whatever. But I think there was maybe a hint right there of, you know, I can't miss this, and um, maybe that's what he felt the most comfortable with. Right. I think it'd be so interesting, and, and maybe the future of golf ten, twenty years from now will look like this. But to have like a heart rate monitor on these guys. To really see, and they talked about this with Justin Thomas at the Players. I think it was at the was at the Players or wherever he won. He anyway, he had a I think he had a whoop on or, or or some type of measuring device, and was it was showing all the spikes and how he looked calm and collected on the inside <laughs> on the outside, but he was not at all. Oh, Chase, trust me. <laughs> uh, I had about a four footer downhill on seventeen at Riviera. To, maintain a one-shot lead and my heart was beating out of my chest (laughs) now to look at me on video it looked like i was totally calm but i will tell you my heart was beating out of my chest so great great setup for a question here how do you handle how do you handle when because i've had those i mean i've had shaky hands where i i mean i i told you this story but i remember one of the first putts i ever had to make for money after i graduated from college it was a three footer in a horse race for like 1500 bucks and i mean my hands were shaking so bad i don't know how i even hit it and i made it but it it it, it was not the prettiest stroke you've ever seen and i was breathing and doing everything i could to calm myself down you talk about making your world small but when your heart is beating like that and it means so much to you and you can't you you can't feel your fingers you've got that metallic taste in your mouth like you just your arms feel heavy how do you get through that one shot when you need to do it under the most intense pressure well you just have to trust the process you know you have to trust um what you've been doing for years you know i'd I'd hit that putt for years yeah it's just you know you have to remind yourself i've hit this putt for years this not for this kind of thing not for this championship not for this much money but i've hit this putt for years and i can do it again and you you almost have to separate i think that's a great point you have to separate what it's for the result and what might come of it and and turn it back into again it's a four footer what is my target what's the goal what am i trying to do it doesn't matter what it's for and i i've made a bazillion of them as a kid beating jack nicholas you know at 7 30 at night at the putting green at the home court at your home course and it, it's just another one what's my target what am i trying to do well that's what i've said a hundred times you know it's it's it is the same four footer it is the same nine iron it is the same seven iron that you hit at your home course yeah it's just got a different end result yeah and we make them too important and it's it's why 
it's exactly why, and we're going to cover this here in a minute, but it's exactly why people get yippy on those little putts because they they care about them more than they care about the 15-footer. They care about the embarrassment of the miss on that putt. They care about the results, as we've we've talked about so many times on here. Um, and it it becomes a um, it becomes a result issue, and not so much of us sticking to the process of just hitting a good solid putt online. Well, you know, we're supposed to make a four footer. We all think we're supposed to make a four footer, and we give ourselves some leniency on a fifteen footer because we're not supposed to make all those fifteen footers. Yeah. And um, you know, because of that, uh, when we miss one, we feel like it is. Uh, defining us yep. and you know certainly it doesn't you know if you look over the long haul Tigers missed them Jack missed them every one of the great players in the world Phil has missed them yep uh, he missed one the other day mm-hmm. uh, look at look at Brooks Brooks yeah, put a terrible Brooks, on Saturday yeah, Brooks Sunday. missed several of them mm-hmm. and it, it, it happens yep. but Brooks I will guarantee you it's not going to let that define him yeah especially and, especially him yeah well, and I think that's good for again parents. We, we again we talk about it all the time. Don't panic from from bad results for a couple of tournaments, a week, even a month of bad results. Like it is part of the ebbs and flows of golf. And Brooks, if Brooks putts like Brooks normally does or normally has done in the last couple of majors, he probably wins by two or three. You know, he missed so many little putts that that you know could have over time could have affected the outcome of the tournament but he's not going to go change who brooks is he's going to be better so i was listening to an interview about brooks and he they asked him about missing the putts and he said you know i think everybody was having trouble putting the wind was causing problems out there so there's a mark of a really good player it's always something else's fault it's never their fault Mm -hmm. if they start to allow themselves to think it's their fault then it becomes comes a situation where it starts to define who they are and they do not let that happen that it is always going to be something caused me to do that we've we've talked about tricking the brain tricking yourself into thinking you're better than you are and it's the same thing he's he's tricking his brain into not letting him think he's worse than he is right that's exactly right so this pot today's podcast is is we're going to We've been asked this quite a bit um, to do. We've been asked to do a putting podcast for a little while, and so we're gonna we're gonna talk about the ins and outs of putting. And a perfect segue from Brooks's struggles is you know going right into this, right? Um, one of the things that I found interesting when you and I first met was, you know, w- we talk about you got to kind of know your brand as a golfer, mm-hmm. but diving in a little bit deeper, you've you've kind of made the analogy that you need to know who you are as a putter. What kind of putter are you? And the you know the first thing we kind of talked about was are you a are you a Tiger Woods? Are you a uh, you know a Tiger Woods who's going to tend to roll in those three and four footers with a little bit more authority than than most? Um, are you a Jack Nicklaus who you know as you said and, and you've played with him so many times you said he he pretty much died everything in the hole? Or and you know we we brought up like a Brad Faxon who tended to kind of roll it with the right weight or the the a, a normal speed each time? Who are you? you know and and trying to be that person every time you step up on the golf course step on the putting green well you have to decide who you're going to be because you can't read the putt until you know how hard you're going to hit it and you know having played with all three of those guys quite a few times you know tiger always was an aggressive putter uh now before i make these comments i want everybody to understand tiger left some putts short Jack hit some putts way by the hole. 
and uh, but their brand, which is what we're talking about, Tiger was an aggressive putter, always played to hit the back of the hole, and Jack was more of a die putter, and his perfect speed was where it just rolled over the front lip. Uh, when you're a die putter, more of the hole is available to you, and that was Jack's theory, always was his theory. Uh, you know, a little bit of Crenshaw was that way too. Sure. And uh, Tiger believed in a more direct line to the hole, and he didn't like taking short putts out of the hole. Do you think that has anything to do with where they grew up? Tiger putting on Poana growing up a little bit more. Um, Jack putting on Bent up in Mirf- you know, the Mirfield, Ohio area. Yeah, could have very well been the case. Yeah. You know, uh, I can assure you that the greens weren't as bumpy in uh, Ohio as they were at Poena and right. California. Sure. How are you? Where would you find you? Uh, I was kind of an in-between. I wasn't uh, super aggressive, and I wasn't a die putter either. Middle of the road, and you grew up on grainy Bermuda. I grew up on grainy Bermuda. And I... You know, I grew up on really good bent greens for the course. I, you know, we had a little small course we had, and I, I tended to be a die putter, and I really struggled. I didn't play on much Bermuda growing up until you know late high school and then early college. First year of, of college was in Monroe, and I, I really struggled getting used to grainy Bermuda. I, I didn't ever hit. I, I had a hard time hitting putts hard enough on those those little breaking putts. Almost looked like like the ball had brakes on it, like it would slow down too fast because yeah. the grass was kind of grabbing it. I think. I was actually at an advantage growing up on uh, slower greens uh, because it made me uh, putt a little bit more aggressive, and then I toned it down when I got on bent grass greens. I think I was a better putter when I practiced on slower greens and uh, seemed to make more putts during that time. Uh, once everybody's agronomy got up to speed and everybody started getting the greens really fast i think it it has a tendency to uh, cause you to be a little bit more conservative and uh, you know what we see here we have putt view in here and what i see back there when i'm watching people they can't seem to hit put enough speed on it to keep it on the line seems to fall below the line a lot which tells me that people are putting not to three putt rather than putting to make and slower greens will tend to you know get you to hit it a little bit more aggressive try try knocking the hole do you think and there's a lot of research behind you know dave pelts and you know even even a a guy you played some golf with dave stockton talks about this a little bit but do you think that there's a a certain speed that we would we would like to try and hit it past the hole if we're going to miss. You know, there's been an 18 inches, there's been 12 inches, and this kind of goes back to are you a Tiger Faxon or Nicholas or Tiger Faxon, Crenshaw, whoever it is. Do you think that, that that number is going to obviously vary based off of who you are as a who you are as a, as a putter? I think it definitely is going to vary based on who you are as a putter. You know, what we talk about in here is we want to help create the best version of you, whatever that is, not what society says it should be. And I think a putter is very much the same way, you know. To say someone should hit it 22 inches past all is... Really? Yeah. I mean, you and I are two different. You're six foot seven, and I'm six foot tall, and right. 
I mean, your arms are a certain length, mine are a certain length. We're just not going to set up to it the same way. We don't have the same feels, and you and I should both hit it 22 inches past a hole. I just don't. I don't buy that. Yeah, I mean, we talk about that too. Just in in general, like pigeonholing any statement in golf is really really tough. It's yes, just, it's just hard. On that note, you know, we've talked about too. Are you a scientist or are you a are you an artist when it comes to putting? And I think I think that's very important too, especially for parents with young kiddos. Like, figure out if your daughter is a likes to draw or if she's she likes to do math and and likes numbers like you do, and that affects how you're going to read. That affects. I, I also think like the tempo of your stroke. I think Crenshaw was obviously going to be more artist than than you know maybe a tiger was um you know obviously bryson's more scientist and his putting stroke looks more scientific and rigid and right. there's not a whole lot of flow to what he's doing and he does it really well because it works for him i think again it's the same thing figure out who you are and and yeah. and make your your decisions and your calls about what you're going to do in the future based on that so going into Again, let's let's use we'll use Tiger and Nicholas as the as the examples. We'll we'll cut out the middle guy and just say, are you more of a die putter or are you more of a firm putter? Do you think and I don't I mean I've seen Nicholas in the putty made at at, at, at the Masters in eighty six, I believe it was. Um, did he have a flowing stroke a little bit more like like a, a Crenshaw? Do you think I, I guess my question is Tiger was Tiger had rhythm to it, but it was it was fairly fairly quick i wouldn't call him a slow you know where where crenshaw had a little bit more flow to it do you think those those um the, they're relatable as far as tiger stroke and his speed need to match crenshaw's stroke and his speed like i think of david toms good friend of yours like long flowing stroke and intended to die his putts a little bit more right did you see on tour with some of the best putters did that were those did they kind of compare well let's take nicholas for instance you know i idolized him and i tried to watch everything that he was doing and we'd play sometimes this is back when we had metal spikes you know and i would watch him and he would go around to the other side of the hole and look at where most of the spike marks were at so he could see where the tendency of the brake line you know where people were missing the putts where they were putting from from that side putting back at the hole and you know he was he was such a planned person and you know one of the times we were playing a practice round somewhere and i was watching him with his putter and it looked like it was moving like this like the heel was moving back more than the toe was it wasn't open in the face it a lot wasn't open in the face he didn't work the toe as much yeah and he said i asked him i said are you doing that he said i always do that and so he was real aware of where the face was at all the time, which tells me he's calculated with what he's doing. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't as rhythmic as some of the other guys, uh, but he knew exactly what he was doing. I think he knew his brand like we talk about. Sure. Yep. And he was playing to that. So then we don't if, – if we're a – a slow walker, we, we talk slow, we drive slow, obviously from a stroke tendency standpoint, the rhythm needs to probably match that, obviously. If we're Ricky Fowler has a, has always had a short, quick back, a fairly quick tempo rhythm, and he's mm-hmm. always been a jabby kind of putter. Struggled with it a little bit lately, but he's, he's, he's getting it back. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean if we've got a little bit quicker rhythm, it doesn't necessarily mean that we need to we need to hammer them in the back. No, Those, they're not always relatable. It's no. kind of it's 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 again it's 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 what's inside of you and how you feel like you can put your best. 
I think uh, for all the parents out there, you know, I mean, my dad used to watch me play all the time, and that was the one thing that he would watch for was was my rhythm the same. And, you know, when I got quick, and when I say rhythm, I'm not just talking rhythm of the stroke, rhythm of the swing, Hal Sutton's rhythm, period. How fast you're walking. How, exactly. Your pre-shot routines, all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, if I got – if I – same way out of Kelter to him you know that evening he'd say I felt like you were doing everything too quick yep. and you know I'd try to f- factor that in the next day when I went out sure and and when the gun goes off it's just natural we're going to speed up we're going to go a little bit faster for the most part I mean doesn't always but uh, you know especially as you as you start competing in tournaments and get to a certain level you're going to tend to be quicker than than most now you can al- also go too slow so we've got to balance it out so I think I think it's natural whenever you're still learning. But Nicholas didn't very much. Yeah. Tiger didn't very much. I mean, this is a learned skill that everybody out there can learn. Uh, it's something whenever I go do a playing lesson, I'm trying to watch every bit of this stuff with a, a kid. You know, how long it takes them from the time they pull the club out of the bag till they actually hit the shot. What are their thoughts? What is their swing rhythm like? What is their, you know, chipping rhythm? I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you, all these rhythms, you still need them. Yeah. And For sure. So let's segue a little bit into uh, kind of a little bit more types of putters and, and grips and different things. We're seeing a lot more of these kind of hybrid weird putting grips i say weird like they're just not as many you know when you first got out on tour you're going to see a lot more of just these you know reverse overlap right hand low varieties a, a conventional putter grip then then cross-handed came along and then now you're seeing all these different claw grips and everything like that now even you know we, we had a run of belly putters they got banned and now we're seeing a bunch of arm locks or a lot more arm locks what are your thoughts on what comes to mind when you first think of all that stuff well when I first went on the tour, this has been a long time ago, so y'all need to understand that, you know, everybody did it the same way, basically. You know, I guess Sam's need before me, you know, was side saddle and, you know, uh, but to my recollection, when I was out there, everybody putted the same way, basically, yeah. with few exceptions. Dan Pohl was a cross-handed putter. Bruce Litsky was a cross-handed putter early on. Most people didn't feel comfortable being different. Everybody wanted to do it conventional, whatever the accepted way. And when you caught somebody that was doing it a different way, you almost stood there in admiration in a way that they had enough guts to be different. Now, everybody has enough guts to be different, and there's so much money involved, they don't care if they have to stand on their head to make the putt anything is acceptable if it goes in and uh so therefore we see you know all these different putter grips now and different types of putters and would you so you've made the comment everything's anything's acceptable as long as it as long as it goes in and to our students and to the listeners at home could we change that that to say anything is acceptable as long as you can completely commit to it totally yeah. yeah, that was an assumption that I made that probably I shouldn't have no, made there. No, I mean, I- uh, you know, golf without commitment is not 
uh, it's going to be very average. Yeah. And so any facet of golf uh, for it to excel has to have commitment go with it. So whatever you're going to do that you can commit to. Yeah. It's, you know, we've obviously worked with a bunch of high level players and one of our girls that's playing at a high, has been playing at a really high level lately is had to change at, you know, she kind of went the Jordan Spieth route for a little bit where she was looking at the hole inside of six, seven feet. And at first when she started doing it, cause she was getting a little shaky on some of those putts. And one of the reasons why I think she did is cause she was hitting it really, really good and had a lot of those putts and just had, she saw a bunch of a miss. She hit it closer on those shots and just had, had more opportunities for, for, for her to miss or to make but she just happened to miss them and it started getting kind of wearing on her and she almost felt like at first when she was looking at the hole she was having some success but she was kind of sheepishly like she didn't she almost didn't want to she almost felt guilty for doing it or, or felt like she was less less and I, I made the point to her I said look it's all about survival at this point whatever you can do to completely commit to the stroke you have to you, you have to be okay with doing that and that's that's essentially the point you were trying to make as far as it doesn't matter how it is as long as you can you can commit to the stroke and it, they're going in the hole you can putt on your head you can putt side saddle if the usj allows it you can putt you know because uh, you know one of my first trips out to see bryson in fresno he was he was practicing this way um he was practicing side saddle and he wasn't he wasn't as as, as good at it obviously as he, he's figured out the arm lock but he wasn't he wasn't against trying anything to find an edge uh, the best, the lowest round I ever shot in competition was 61, and I shot it with a 43-inch uh, putter that was I putted split hand. Interesting. And it was the lowest round I ever shot. And the reason why I feel like I did it, I did it because I felt like I made more 10 to 15 footers that way. I didn't feel like it hurt the short putting, and I felt like I made more 10 to 15 footers. And you know, I mentioned to you earlier that I felt like my shoulders moved all the way through the putting stroke and. Um, you know, some people think you should putt wristy. I always was one of the guys that felt like I needed to work my shoulders to putt my best. Well, and there's there's a million. We were talking about that a little bit earlier. There's a there's a a, a famous. He's a you know friend of yours and and um, has taught a, re- a lot of really good players. Stan Utley out in um, out in Arizona. And he's a fan of. He calls it energizing the putter. He's a fan of getting the putter to flow and have quiet shoulders. And like you and I talked, like we both kind of kind of struggled that way. We both like the feel of letting the shoulders, the chest control the motion a little bit more than than necessarily just the hands and the elbows. Well, I'm, you know, we can do a lot with our hands. You know, without doing anything else with our body and most of the time when our hands are moving a lot our show our body's not doing very much it's kind of quiet and uh, you know if if i could say any one thing if i could take my hands out of most of what i did in golf i played a lot better golf and the more i energized my hands the wilder things got and again that's for you guys at home that feel like you're a little handsy and you feel like you're good putters that's completely fine yeah there's there's a million different ways to do it that worked for hal sutton that was my brand, yep. and I was just verbalizing my brand, you yep. know, and what we preach is figure out who you are, and we don't want to change who you are. Yep. We we want to try to take your brand and make you the best you can be with your brand. One of the things I like to tell students when they come for a putting lesson, I say, look, you know, 
however you're putting today right now whatever mechanics you're using if you were the best putter in the world i wouldn't change a thing but if you think you're the worst putter in the world i might change everything and that's the, that's the challenge with putting because there's a million different ways to do it and you've got to figure out the best way you can you can control your speed which is the number one factor in being a good putter control your speed and can you hit it solid and can you start it on the line you want to start it on those are really the three questions you have to ask yourself from there there's green reading skills and there's some other other factors that come into play but if you can start it online if you can hit it solid and if you can control your speed you can be a great putter starting it online that's key <laughs> so think back to some of the best putters you ever saw you ever you ever watched play you know there's I think Lauren Roberts was was famous for almost being sh- more straight back, straight through per se. I don't think it really exists. I think it's hard to be outside of ten feet. I think it's really we stand to the side of a ball. It's really hard to be straight back, straight through. I guess if you're Bryson and you're right on top of it, you know the shaft's vertical. But pretty much everybody was arky. But I do think they were arkier back in your day than they are now. I think they're they're trying to keep it closer to a, a straighter arc. But talk about kind of what you saw with some of the players. That well, you I've already mentioned Jack. Yeah. You know, work the heel of the putter. The more you work the heel of the putter, the more straight back it's going to go. Yep. Uh, the more you work the toe of the putter, the more arky it's going to be. Yep. You know, Crenshaw was very arky. He worked the toe of the putter a lot. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people do it a lot of different ways yeah um you know i don't think there is a right or wrong yeah and i think there is your right and you getting settled in and comfortable with that is is critical you know and, and there's criticism people you know that's one of the things that makes golf hard is everybody's got an opinion yeah and you know i had a guy in here today you know and he told me he'd listen to anybody and i said we this is a really good player said you better stop that you better have a plan you better stick to your plan and you know he he really hadn't even this is i'm talking a really good player and he hadn't really locked in on his brand yeah he still thought it was under this rock or under this rock. He was going to get like a fortune cookie. Yeah. He was going to get your brand is yeah, this. Right. And I think that's your choice, your decision. Yep. And you said it a bunch, like not one small little decision like that or one small little little bit of information on a rock is going to change your life. It's not going to change your golfing life anyway. No, it's not. So how did – oh, one thing I was at one point I was going to make – Going back to a little bit of the archy versus square, mm-hmm. one of the things that some of the putting researchers have shown with tour players versus amateurs, and this is really a really good tidbit for you guys at home, tour players now, with the data they've done on average, tend to keep the face more square to the arc. Like, we can arc it inside to inside without actually rotating the face that much. They tend to rotate the face much, uh, it was like 25 or 30% less than most amateurs do. So the strokes could look the same, but the face is opening and closing. There's a lot more face manipulation for the amateurs than there was for the tour pros. So something something for you guys to keep in mind at home. If you're having speed issues, if you're having start line issues, we want it to arc a little bit. It doesn't have to be crazy one way or the other, but we want to make sure that that face isn't opening and closing within that arc. That's great advice for every aspect of your game. Yeah, face staying pretty face, square. Face there. staying fairly square. You know, the less the face is moving around, uh, 
probably the more consistent you're going to be no matter what you're doing. Yep. How did you approach, we talked about growing up on Bermuda versus, uh, versus I grew up on Bent, but how did you approach different types of grasses when you went from the West Coast to the East Coast? We usually had a day or two to get adjusted just, to it. You were just trial by you fire, just, get after yeah, it? Yeah, just getting after it. You know, uh, that was probably one of the hardest parts about being out there early on in your life is trying to figure out, you know, this week it's this way, this week it's that way. You know, it's uh, it's tough, you know. And we've said this a million times, but I still think that goes. It's it goes back to this this plan of attack that's needed for tournaments that's needed for months that's also needed for a four footer for par on the 17th hole like if it's late in the day on poena greens in california you better be prepared to get on it a little bit if it's late in the day on bermuda and they're dried out and they're crusty and it's a slider and it's it's going to slide across the green kind of like glass you've got to have a plan to hit that putt you just got to have experience yeah and that's what you're talking about. And here's a great point, and you all need to understand this. You don't wake up with it one morning. <laughs> I mean, every parent and every kid out there needs to understand that it, experience comes to you over time yep. and different events. And, you know, there's going to be failure. We like to say there's never failure. There's learning. Yep. But to a parent, they see it as failure. They we didn't do any good at all but the truth is you're doing good by learning these experiences because it'll come sometime in the future you'll be able to apply that experience to where it actually helps you that's exactly right and you know i i think we all think we can bypass some of these steps and boy i tell you there's really no bypassing no, any of this that's really not that's that's such a good point how did you did you have any tricks for you know reading greens you know i think and, and the next question i have I have to ask you about that is did you see guys back in the day using their feet as much as people are now if they did you, you know didn't i didn't notice it. i didn't notice yeah. it uh the one of the things that i felt like made reading greens easier was always looking at it from the underside of the hole so you never looked at it so for instance if the whole slope of the green was going this way i always looked at it from over here i could see break better from over here if you're on the top side of it looking down it's harder to see the break and, and you know the other thing is that this was a hal sutton thing i don't know if this is what everybody else did or not i always you know a lot of times you're going to read a putt from both sides of the hole and you're going to see two different things yeah. you know that could be confusion and we've talked about it on here a lot of times you have to be willing to commit to something i always went with what i saw from behind the hole yeah. i mean from behind my ball, ball. behind the ball yeah, yeah. not That's behind it. the hole me too and uh you know i just never could lock in completely from what i saw from behind the hole i was the exact same way i would read at left edge behind the ball and 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 going the other way behind the hole and i would always commit to commit to what i saw um behind the ball just because again and that's going to always be your last look too you know you're always going to see it from behind it and step into it and you've got to you, you've got to go with almost a recency bias there and here's another thought this is not really true for a lot of people out there but you know could be if you're playing in a best ball tournament you know player and caddy 
you know, somebody's got to have the last call. Yeah. And, you know, I played a lot of golf with Calvin Pete, one of the best players of our era. I can tell you right now, he was a great player. Golf ball, his caddy, read all the greens and told him exactly where to hit the putt. And he was the CEO of the green reading as far as the Calvin Pete crowd. And uh, they won a lot of golf tournaments, were very successful. Uh, You know, Calvin didn't fight him on it. He trusted what golf ball saw. And, uh, you know, so you can't commit to something until there's a decision made. That's exactly right. You talked about reading greens as you walked up to the green, too. Yes. I was always, that was something I learned from Jack Nicklaus. You know, he's always paying attention to the green when he's walking up. And, uh, you know, you can see things from afar that you can't quite see when you're right there on top of it. One of the things is I've gotten to know you a bit more and, and talked about golf course architecture. Um, and even being out when we were at a Big Easy and getting to know the superintendent out there quite a bit, um, talked a lot about how, especially you know some of your better golf courses, some of the not the push-up greens like a, a little mom Paul Muni, but your big-time golf courses. The number one goal with greens was to get water to get to to drain off the green. Right. And so if you think about the design of the green, there's going to be movements to get water because they do not want water standing on the green. Right. And so if you look at greens, that, that's helped me recently, like when we went out and played Boot Ranch. Seeing the contours and the movements and where water would go helped me to have a better understanding of, okay, this putt's generally going to go this way or this way. Yeah. Low spots on the greens are going to, you know, even in the uh, door, I mean, the uh, dwarf Bermudas that are out there right now. You know, the grain grows to where the water's run into. Yeah. And uh, change, you'll see it, the change of color of the green, and, yeah. you know, it'll get shiny or darker or whatever. Um, so pay attention to where the low spots are. How did you practice putting? <laughs> uh, first of all, my back always hurt from practicing <laughs> putting a, Me too. a lot of times. So. You know, I, I like to joke with my dad. I was too tall to practice putting. It, it, it didn't work very. <laughs> it well. didn't work. He, he didn't. He didn't, he didn't take that for uh, an excuse. He didn't go for that. You know, um, I, I like everyone else. As a kid, loved putting long putts. You know, you go out with your friends, and you know, who could make the longest putt? And you know that gets old after a while because there's not enough uh, satisfaction out of the result. And then we start putting shorter putts. I felt like I was a lot better putter as a kid as when I was putting longer putts. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've tried to talk to one of the kids that we teach in here is, you know, don't get stuck hitting four and five footers all the time. You can't really feel the speed of the green. You know, you've got to putt longer putts to feel the speed of the green. And, you know, when you're going to a tournament and everybody's practicing putting right before they go out, you know, it's a lot of people on the putting green, so it's harder to hit long putts if you hit it at a hole. Yeah. Well, you don't have to hit it at a hole sure. to figure out the speed of the green. Right. I mean, the number one thing to being a great putter, you've got to have speed control. You have to have an idea how hard you want to hit it, and then can you hit it that that hard? And then, as you mentioned, face control would be obviously number two. Reading greens would be probably number three as far as the order of importance. But, um, you know, my dad made me do one of the things, like, growing up, he was my putting coach and made me putt all the time. And we would have to go – I'd have to 
two putt, ten putts in a row from 30 plus feet before we could go home. Different putts, different holes, and all that stuff. And the thing that that did for me is what did it make me do? It made me putt a lot of short putts too, because I had a bunch of four and five footers that I had to make that mattered a little bit. Um, some of the the sports psychologists I've talked to and some of the science guys say that it's better. If you're gonna putt short ones, putt them short enough to where you see the ball go in the hole a bunch. So like two and like there's nothing wrong with putting a bunch of two footers, working on your stroke to where you hear the the sound of the ball going in. And it's again going back to this idea of tricking your brain into thinking you're better than you are, putting that same one footer, two footer. You know, I think we talked about this in an earlier podcast we did. Like if you fight pulls, then go to a one foot putt or a two foot putt, line up dead center and try and push it in the hole you're good at pulling it you've developed a skill to pull it developed a skill to push it so like depending on what your weaknesses weaknesses control and face or control and speed or whatever it is obviously working on that weakness but i mean he made me putt a million lag putts it was always chase if you're if you, if you don't three putt you're gonna have a chance to win tournaments and and working with some of the kids we work with and, and having girls that hit it really well and having seven three putts around yeah, i think he was right even though yeah. my back still hurts from all the putting you made me do <laughs> well i can tell you this i never saw a lot of people make a lot of 30 and 40 footers the difference between the really good putters and just the average guys is the really good putters they don't miss many that are four foot or less and they make a lot more eight ten and twelve foot putts yeah. and i'll tell you that is where everybody needs if you're out there right now you want to make a difference in your game start making eight to twelve footers a lot and you will see your scores go oh, down yeah. i mean tour players on average make 50 percent of their eight footers so you you amateurs at home are probably making 25 to 30 percent so if you can you can make because again you can chip it to eight feet and you're gonna have uh, you know you're gonna hit some good shots in there to eight to ten feet and if you're missing them all you know well every low round that i can recall that i had when i was on the tour i made a bunch of eight to fifteen footers and you know i i didn't make many 30 or 40 footers no you know if you make one if i made one 30 or 40 footer in two days i was lucky basically yeah yeah i mean at that point you once the putter the ball leaves the face i mean it's sheer luck at that point whether it bounces the right way or or whatever it is um how did you handle bad putting months or bad putting tournaments or how did you did you practice more did you practice less did you did you say the math's going to catch back up and I'm due for I'm due to putt better the next week? Like, did you? How did you? How did you handle that? I felt like it was, you know, time. You know, it's hard to be patient. We're not very patient. No. And a golfers, golfers are panickers. Like yeah. we keep saying that. They're, yeah. Don't panic. Yeah. I mean, you know, parents tend to panic real right. fast, and something's wrong. Something's wrong. We got to get it worked out. And you know, to me, I think. If you're working at it and you're not just loafing, it's going to come, you know, if you are committed to it and uh, you have a plan before you hit the putt, you know, I mean, I I tried to have a plan before I hit the putt, you know, I had picked out the line, stayed in the present, didn't plan on making it, I was going to accept the result. But I had a plan. I was committed to the plan. And it goes back to the whole idea of if you missed the putt, was it 
there's there's three keys right did you misread it did you was it a bad stroke or was it a bad commitment right and it's it's being able to assess that correctly that's that's so huge and if you you have a couple weeks of bad putting it could be a blip in the radar right but if it's two months of bad putting and it's consistent misses or or inconsistent misses whatever it is if it's inconsistent misses it's probably a mindset thing if it's consistent misses then it's a stroke probably a stroke issue and then you can you can possibly take a peek so here's something that must be said of those three things the only one of those three things that you can make sure is exactly right every time you do it is your level of commitment yep i mean you can be wrong, but you can still be committed to that wrong. So, I mean, you're not in control of, uh, you know, is it a bad stroke? Sometimes. I mean, we practice hard to Correct. make sure that we don't ever make a bad stroke. Correct. And to that point, you're never going to read every putt right, and you're never going to make perfect a perfect stroke every time. That's right. That's yeah. my point. Yeah. And But you can commit to every putt. That's the only thing you can do for sure. Yep. Yeah. And and. Since we've been doing this, I've had a lot of people ask me, well, what exactly does commitment mean? And it's going back to the analogy. I mean, think of an archer shooting an, shooting an apple off a guy's head. He's he's aiming at a certain spot. He's not worried about hitting the guy in the head. He's worried about trying to hit the apple. And it's the same concept. Even if you misread it, even if, if your stroke's not perfect, if you can keep the commitment level the exact same on every every shot in golf, you have a much better chance of succeeding. So it's and again, don't you know? You were great at it. I was not great at it. I was okay at it, but it's it's completely easier said than done, too. Like, did you do you think you ever had a round of golf where you com- you committed to every shot to the best? To no, I don't think I ever had. And a round think of about golf. that statement, right? Like you played six hundred PGA Tour rounds, you won fourteen times, and you would think, especially with your your persona and your personality, like you would probably have a better commitment level than most of the guys out there well i mean the last round of the pga when i won it i made three bogeys in a row and all three of them came from lack of commitment but i realized that and i played the last four holes totally committed to every shot that i hit so i mean we're gonna make mistakes and i don't want you to think that what we talk about on here will ever cause you to become a mistake-free person yeah correct and go back to the statement of like this idea that our self-talk, if our self-talk was a friend of ours, we'd have probably gotten rid of that friend a long time ago. Like your your brain's going to have a tendency to want to self-sabotage you, and you got to be able to shut it down and say, nope, I can do this. I got this. What's my plan of attack? What am I trying to do? Well, I always felt like there was self-talk. This guy right here was telling me all the negative things, and this guy right here was saying, no, don't believe that. Don't believe that. You know, <laughs> right. I just wanted this guy to win. <laughs> right. You know. To think that you're never going to have negative thoughts is wrong. You, I mean, it's it's going to happen. Yeah. You just have to recognize that they're coming and defeat them. So I got uh, I got two more questions. Um, how many putters did you have throughout your career? Um, did you change putters? What's your thoughts on changing putters? Well, I won the majority of the tournaments that I in the first half of my career with a ping pal putter and i won the majority of the tournaments that i played with in the second half of my career with a uh, scotty cameron and newport Newport, similar similar designs similar design and you know won the pga with an hba spalding putter which was very unlike me to putt with a putter like that kind of like what you know similar to what phil it had a really small sweet spot on it putted great that week with it uh 
never putted good with it after that <laughs> how about that <laughs> you know uh, later on in my career i went to more of a mallet type putter and i don't really even know why that was uh, you know we're all looking for something that we have confidence in i've i've tried to tell some of the parents of of kids and some of the kids that in my opinion completely my opinion is that if you have two or three different styles of putters like kind of your if you had to putt with a mallet you'd pick this one if you had to putt with a, a newport style or an answer style you'd pick this one and then the third one whatever your eye kind of gravitates towards mm-hmm. and you kind of you kind of revolve around those three completely different styles but three that you're like i like the look of them and 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 if one's not behaving correctly it's it's okay to go to the next one thoughts on that well i i would go a little step further than that i i would say the way the hosel goes into the club whether it's a center shafted putter whether it's an offset putter uh you know most of the time if you were ever had success with a more of a center shafted putter Corey Pavin, for instance, yeah. with a bullseye putter. Yeah. You know, he was always his best putter with that, with a center shafted putter. Okay. Um, you know, I I don't think I would have ever seen Corey Pavin with a, a, a zebra putter. Yeah, right, a big mallet. Okay. A big mallet. So then are you saying more so along the lines of stick with if if – if it is no offset center shaft, stick with that kind of design, and then you can vary a, a couple of different ones within that that grouping. Yes, but don't go crazy offset, no offset, back set all you know with within three different three different looks. Unless things are just totally terrible and yeah. have been for quite a while, and you need a change, a, a big change, a big change, and maybe try it. Then you know, I mean, there's no set way to yeah. do this. You yeah. know, I think. I like organization. I've always liked organization. And, uh, you know, I was kind of organized with my thoughts, with my game. Yeah. And, again, though, all this all this discussion comes back to it's all about, like we have at the end, it's all about survival. Right. Can you commit to whatever you're trying to do, whether it looks horrible or whether it looks, looks perfect to your eye? Can you commit to what your the goal is, the plan was? The line, the speed, all that stuff. Whether you're putting left-handed, right-handed, <laughs> side saddle, cross-hand, whatever it is. Can't There's been some people that right-handed players that went to totally left-handed putters, yeah, and had success with it too. Yeah, but I will guarantee you they only did that because it was terrible the other way. Yeah, they. So when they make drastic moves like that, that is a last resort. So perfect segue with regards to drastic moves. Let's talk very, very quickly for our guys out there that have struggled with with feeling yippy, struggling with the the dreaded Y word when it comes to golf. I've I've t- I've said you know on, on here that I got yippy with with wedges. I've had a little, a few little bouts with yip yippy feeling with putter from like six to twelve feet. I haven't really had any issues like worried about missing three footers, but at those six to 15, 12, 15 footers, like I felt myself my right hand I kind of tend to push. I kind of tend to tend to rotate it under and kind of jab at it with my right hand. And so I've I've had to make some adjustments to kind of get through that. Um did you ever have any bouts with with what would you call the yips? Not really, but you know, I never really worked the face a lot. Yeah. You know, I tended to be a little bit more of once again, because I really liked Jack. Uh, you know, Jack, yeah. you know, when he told me 
that the heel went away a little bit. You know, he worked the heel away. Uh, that causes you to take it more straight back and straight through. You know, I think you get a little bit yippy when that face is moving around. Yeah, you don't have much time to square it out. Yeah, it's I mean, a it, stroke if it ever gets off, you can't square that's it. That's why you see guys with driver or with with irons can get the club in some funky spots, but they have time to bring it back. Did you see any guys on tour like where they were? You you watched them go through the through the middle of a of a, an issue with the yips. A, that would be my first question because I'm sure you did. But then B, did you see anybody get through it? Uh, I wish you'd hit me with that question put, before put I, could have thought about it more. You know, you, you know, the, I, everybody misses short putts. You know, sure. uh, well, and I guess where I'm going with this is just this going back to this idea of like you've got to do something that you can commit to. You know, you we saw. I mean, one of the biggest ones I remember seeing was Ernie. You know, Ernie at the at it was one at Augusta, like yeah. seven putted or eight putt. I mean, and there was a there was a putty hit a couple weeks before from two feet or a foot and a half that he didn't even. I mean, you could even he he called it. He was like, I got the heebie-jeebies. Like he was, it was just going off in his hands. Well, here's another example. You know, at Augusta, seventy four putted one hole there, and they asked him in the media room what happened. He said, I miss, I miss, I miss, I make. <laughs> you know. I like his answer right, there right. because he was basically saying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, and I made it. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of everything that's wrong yeah. all the time. Right. You know, to me, the way he answered that, he must have been committed on all those putts. Yeah. And, you know, we're not right all the time. Right. And I think if you realize, hey, I did what I was trying to do, it didn't go in. That shouldn't make me yippy. I did what I wanted to do. Yeah. And and that that's such a great point because what happens is the the yips start from a it's a slightly mechanical issue over a course of time and then it turns into a complete mental issue and then it then at some point it might be past the point of no return that you got to change everything to get through it. I've seen people have to do that, yeah. And so that's kind of what you know. And I'd I'd love love your take on this quickly, but how for the guys at home that that are going through it right now my first recommendation is identify the hand that's causing the problem it's always one very rarely is it two hands right typically for right-handed golfer it tends to be the right hand it tends to be the right hand getting after it but if it's the left hand that's you know not that it's fine but it's it happens identify that hand and change that grip like go to something that is a little bit different that takes away the um the feeling or uh the opportunity for it to for it to react i'm glad you brought that up i didn't change putters a lot but i changed my grip a okay. lot. okay interesting so i'd even move my left hand over more or uh change my right hand or change the way i laid my finger down on my yeah. on my right hand so i would do something that gave me a different feel with the putter in my hand okay but i didn't change putters a lot yeah so you had a very similar style putter as you mentioned but weren't afraid to tinker with with slightly different grips. i mean i would even if i felt like I, my right hand was getting too much involved uh i'd go crawl, i'd go left hand low in the middle of a round hmm. and freddie used to love it when i do that because he he said i can't remember but it was a lot you made a lot of 15 footers when you would go left hand low first putt 
Yeah. I, I never really went left hand low on a three or four footer to begin with. Yeah. Or I never went left hand low on a 30 or 40 footer. I'd go left hand low on an eight to a 15 footer. See, and I love that because going back to going full circle to your original statement about guys on tour not changing a whole lot or not, not experimenting a whole lot early on because they almost felt like it, they were showing signs of weakness. Right. You know, and now. Like I always thought, if you changed putters or if you made little changes like that, it was you were showing that you weren't good enough. You're the the normal way, and it was it was a sign of weakness. But again, it goes back to the whole point: whatever we can do to survive. Well, it was a sign of anger in my in my case because yep. I had missed too many the other way, and it's like you know I got to do something different you're here better right than now. This. So it's yes, exactly. Yep. So it is a, a level of survival. You know, I've said on here many times, you know, that maybe in a whole course of a year i might have been what i thought was on the money three or four times in a in a year yeah. which didn't always result in winning yeah right but the rest of the time i was just managing what i had yeah and that's what you out there need to be able to do better than you are currently doing you need to inventory what you've got yep. and manage what you've got better yep and when it goes bad figure out why it went bad was it mindset was it mechanics what was the problem did you have a plan did you commit to the plan and did the did you just not execute the shot as well or the swing as well as you had hoped or did your mindset did your your compass your gps get diverted in in the middle of the in the middle of the swing in the middle of the stroke in the middle of the route couldn't have said it better myself hope you enjoyed it putting podcast we've been asked to do it for a while now we wanted to get this in as always let us know if you have any questions we've got some uh some awesome guests coming up as always trying to make these things as good as we can make them if you guys have any 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 things you'd like to discuss we are uh, more than welcome to dive in and and get as deep as uh, as you guys want us to go how take us out well congratulations to phil uh you know he played great um you know Jag Nicholas, we thought he had done pretty amazing things to win the Masters at 46. Trust me, winning on uh, Kiowa Island uh, at f- almost 51, cool. what an incredible feat. So uh, if follow us on social media, House Hutton Golf Twitter, uh, Instagram. Uh, let us know what you want to hear. See you next week. Be the right club today. Yes!